Welcome to Drowning in Manga, where we explore the deep, dark depths of manga. I am your host, VLORGTZ, and I have my co-host with me... Uh, 900 from Twitter.com That's right, we're back again at this manga recap fun, and we got another great episode for you guys. Um, we're gonna, we ha we're adding a brand new series to the lineup, Eden Zero by Hiro Mashima. Are you excited, Allison? Yes, very excited. But before we get to that, we are first gonna have to deal with all our good old Shonen Sunday stuff. So let's get straight into the recap, guys. Okay, so we're going to start off our recap with our usual first series, Zero's Tea Time. This time we have Zero's Tea Time Chapter 8, and Allison, you're going to do the honors of recapping this. Uh, it looks like we got a whole bunch of color pages this time. Uh, as Amaro R, he's looking fly as usual. Third color picture of Borman in his, uh, I guess, his enforcer outfit. You're with him next to Graffiti. I think that's just supposed to be like his street clothes. Oh, oh it's a cool outfit. Colors they use for the spray paint graffiti effect. On the bottom right side, that has like a little teacup on it. It's cute. Yeah, I guess one thing to note about uh, this issue of Shun Sunday is that Zero's Tea Time got four color pages, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So, like, the first, second, third, and fourth pages of this are all color, which is cool. Yeah, cover of Sunday, too. Uh, Conan got the cover of Sunday. Oh, he's gotta sell the volume somehow. <laughs> yeah. We got some more color pages here, and it has Amaro washing cars saying, I'll clean you right up. He looks cute. It takes as his partner, the car. He sometimes forces past his limits in order to carry out his mission. Hell of Carry is fabulous. In black and white, and Amaro is remembering some stuff from the regular Conan universe. I'm guessing it's from a movie or something, because there's not a lot of action in the regular series. If I recall, I think both of these are scenes from... I think both of these scenes are from the manga, but I don't remember exactly what had happened. But yeah, basically they're just Amuro abusing his car. I was figuring it was from a movie because Conan doesn't have a lot of hype animation moments outside of the movies. I mean, Amuro and Akai had like a car chase, like for one of their battles. It's true, but I don't remember it being animated, so it must be like in the 500s or something. Nah, it was animated on the Crunchyroll episodes, but it was a while back. Wasn't it an opening song? It wasn't like an opening song, it was like an actual episode. It's like the... I think it's the Scarlet Case. Oh, it's been like almost 200 episodes since then. I guess. I think probably 100. But in any case, let's move on, I guess. <laughs> And everyone's distracted, I swear. Anyways, and now Amuro sees doggy paw prints on, like, the near where you stick the gas thingy on your face. Like, what, what, where are these paw prints coming from? Yeah, the paw prints. And Amuro's deciding he's gonna go find them. Those are clearly defined, so it's not a cat. Maybe it's a dog. Two centimeters wide. It's probably that it's a weasel. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Sees the puppy from two chapters ago. Me. And the dog is like, arf, arf. And then the doggy is hungry, so he barks a lot. And then Amaro takes out like an apple or something. Such a precious like dog. Like, I'll take you out the apple seeds, because they're poisonous. And yeah, then the doggy an gets apple. some apple food. And some food to the doggy is so cute that I'm probably gonna die. Oh, what? Amuro is such a good boy. Like, how rare, this doggy doesn't have a collar. And then he gets a telephone call from... Uh, Kizami, and he's gotta go back to work. It's like, 
sad because Amro is leaving and decides to follow him via his snow. And then it looks like Amro finished all his work time because now it's night. It looks like his shirt's probably going to come off, but it doesn't. Sorry, I got distracted. You really want that shirtless Amaro, don't you? Mo moving on. Friends, <laughs> <laughs> not making fun of me. Okay. <laughs> I keep offerings on the car, and Amaro panics because he sees his doggy up there. The doggy is. The doggy just wants a buddy. The doggy takes a nap on Amaro's car roof. Namoro's like, well, now I'm done for. Sweet. Facing someone who survived alone with determination. That's why he was toyed with. Unfortunately, there's gonna be a break, so no Amro next week. Oh no. Yep, we we can't we can't get our Amro goodness every week apparently. We we need a break sometimes. It looks Tis sad. Yes, but it's looking like Amro may become a dog dad. Which is awesome. Yeah, I think I think the dog might uh might uh, be sticking with him. I mean, considering that uh at the very end, like it says in issue thirty three, uh there will be an everyday life with the dog, so it seems like the dog isn't like leaving anytime soon. For the doggy friend. Amro and his doggy pals. <laughs> Anime adaption coming soon. <laughs> I like how the tags say doggy, doggy so cute. Dying here, it's stupier. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry for oh. getting distracted. <laughs> no, no, the shirt, the, the shirt, the Sabro stuff was funny. Uh, but I, I guess uh, now we should move on to uh, the new chapter, Detective Conan. Detective Conan, chapter ten sixteen. Um, so first, we're just going to talk about the cover here of Shun Sunday, because Conan had the cover. And he's on his uh, skateboard that he barely ever uses, aside from, like, this one case. Well, see, Amuro is on this cover, actually. He's, like, on the bottom right corner. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, I must have not noticed him, because Conan, like, takes up, like, half the cover. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, so, yeah, let's just get straight into this chapter. So, number... File number six, ten sixteen, no parking sign. Our chapter cover here is just Conan on his uh on his uh skateboard and stuff. And yeah, he's just doing his regular skateboard thing. But of course then we go into the actual chapter here, which continues off of uh Yumi san lying on the floor, supposedly dead, but she's not dead, obviously, cause it's Yumi. They aren't going to kill off Yumi. <laughs> it turns out that she was actually just uh, sleeping on the floor. And uh, Takagi had asked her to go over to the to the scene of the crime and look at the corpse's position on the ground. And while she was lying on the ground, she was uh, tired. Because uh, she was busy uh, all night with uh, Shukichi. Probably doing something nasty. Um, in any case, uh, Yumi says that she was looking at the photo of the corpse. And she, when she was, uh, replicating the crime scene, it hit her that the face of the corpse was intentionally turned to the no parking traffic sign. Which then makes Sato realize that, uh, um, the crime scene of Sergeant Mobasaki, the other victim, also had pointed towards a no parking sign, which they had initially believed to just be the swing. But behind the swing was the no parking sign. So this is likely an indication um, that the criminal was one of the suspects that they had uh, pulled over and detained last week. And then after that, Chiba asks if uh, any of them had broken a no-parking rule. And then Yumi ex once again explains how none of them uh, broke a no-parking rule. One of them had uh, one of them had uh, been using their smartphone while driving and didn't have their driver's license. Another one was riding a motorcycle without a helmet in the reverse direction. And the last one didn't wear a seatbelt and rode the car in an expired uh, vehicle. 
So basically, they try to figure out uh, more about uh, the actual details of the of the hint, which they then think about maybe the color of the sign or the lines on the sign, but none of them seem to really point to anything uh, that's helpful. So then Takagi mentions that uh, the uh, the forensics department managed to figure out the number that uh, that it had been called on the last victim's phone, which was the number 7155. But it doesn't connect to anything. But they, at first year, Tori thinks that it maybe was just like uh, the victim had like uh, slipped away at the brink of death and had misdialed. But Sato believes that she had intentionally tried to call that number so that it would be logged into the memory of her phone. So they, uh, so uh, then they try to figure out if it could maybe be a. Uh, a number for karaoke and they decide that uh they should check with uh Naiko Mike which uh makes Chiba uh remember uh Mike when uh she was a kid uh because Chiba still doesn't realize that uh the Naiko who's a police officer now is the same uh childhood crush that he used to have for, for some reason, I, I don't know why he can't get it through his thick skull that it's the same person. But, uh, that's besides the point for now. <laughs> um, so basically they call Naeko, and Naeko's like, she she doesn't remember the songs that they had played at karaoke, and that karaoke uh, places don't really even use numbers anymore um, as a requirement for playing songs, so they might not even have used them. Um, but while she's on the phone with Yumi, it turns out that the criminal is driving by her, and he hears the words Yumi, cause, and that kind of uh, gets his attention since uh, Yumi was one of the people that, uh, that whose name he heard when he was with those two police officers. So he holds a grudge against uh, someone called Yumi, who is likely the the friend that they had who's not actually the police officer Yumi but like their friend from high school that the two dead police officers knew um but yeah in, in any case um basically uh Yumi hangs up the call and then Chiba decides that he's gonna go uh look for something in the park again that's related to the 7155 number and uh on the way back to Yumi's car, Yumi encounters uh, some drunk hooligans in front of her car who are like, we, we were protecting your mini patrol car for you. You should give us some protection money. And she's just like, are you guys idiots? And they're like, uh, what did you say to us? You, you shouldn't say that to good citizens like us. And then one of them tries to swing a, a bottle of booze at her head. But suddenly... Out of nowhere, Subaru Okiya, also known as uh, Shuichi Yakai, shows up and hey. stops the hooligans. And he's like, excuse me, they're my companions. It looks like they got pretty drunk. Please don't pay attention to their trash talk. And like, they're like, who the hell are you? And then uh, uh, Akai just like beats the crap out of them a bit. And then is like, you're my companions, right? And they're like, ah, yes. And then, oh, basically, Akai's just, like, t telling him to get out of there. And then, uh, Ak Akai apologizes uh, to Yumi about the fuss. And then it turns out that he had actually gotten a text from uh, Shukichi, because uh, both uh, him and Shukichi are brothers. And uh, Shukichi had texted him telling him to protect uh, Yumi. Which does bring up the question, uh, how Shukichi knows that Akai is alive, because Sarah thinks Akai is dead. So either, either Sarah was assuming Akai was dead because of lack of contact with him, or Akai had specifically just told Shukichi that he's alive. Which either one could be valid. I guess we'll find out over time which one is actually true. 
Yeah, maybe in chapter um, 1116. At this rate. Probably sooner than that, but uh, in, in any case, um, in any case, we then uh, pan over back to the park where the first crime had happened, and uh, Chiba's looking all over the place, and then he encounters Conan. And it turns out Conan had also figured out that the policewoman um, had actually been pointing towards the no parking sign instead of the swing. So he also decided to come back and check. And uh, so Chiba tells him about the 7155 number that Yagi had dialed on the brink of death. And uh, Conan tries to like put it through his head and figure out what exactly the number could mean. And uh, Chiba's suggesting that he go home, but Conan's just like, that he, uh, he told uh, Ron, Ron, Ron that uh, he'd uh, be at the Professor Agasa's house and asked if uh, Chiba could uh, drive him home since uh, his skateboard ran out of power since it's, uh, it's solar powered so it can't run at night. And uh, then we pan over to uh, Naeko who is uh, uh, trying to check if uh, she has uh, Sato's phone number but then realizes that... Uh, she has Chiba's number, and uh, remembers that uh, she hasn't called him since the class reunion, which was like ages ago at this point. That that was like I mean, uh, probably at least like a hundred chapters ago. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, suddenly the criminal pulls up and is like, um, "When I parked my car at the alley with the trunk open for a while, it seems a stray cat ventured in." And it's been meowing loudly ever since. Could you please help me look for the cat inside my car? I'm allergic to cats, so I can't touch it. Like, legit, this is like this is such a sketchy excuse to get someone to get uh, kidnapped. Like, literally, Maiko must be really gullible if she fell for this. Are people in this universe so gullible? Why? Yes, yes. The suspicious dude in the big white in the was it white? big like whatever dark colored van thing that is asking you to go behind his like truck and look for a cat totally not a uh, sketchy at all and uh we then pan back to chiba and conan and chiba's car and he's conan's like feels like he almost has gotten the answer and uh then chiba mentions that uh he had heard from yumi that uh they'd been studying uh Conan and the other kids have been studying traffic signs together, and that he didn't know that uh, the Japanese traffic signs refer to England's, and this seems to uh, seems to cause like an epiphany in Conan's mind. Like he's like England, I see. So that's what it was. But then suddenly Chiba gets a phone call, and the phone call is just a bunch of taps, and the taps just keep getting louder until there's a whack sound and someone saying, "Hey." What are you doing? And then, uh, this kind of frightens Shiva, and then we learn that the person who's creating the taps is actually, uh, Naeko, who has now been captured by the criminal, and is using her spare phone to try to contact Shiva. And that's where our chapter ends. So, uh, Allison, what do you think of this chapter overall? Uh, I'm still waiting for the butt to come back. Yeah, I I like this chapter quite a bit. I mean, it seems that we're finally heading towards a bit more of a conclusion now. I'm not sure if it's going to tie up with the next chapter, but at least the chapter after that. And it's good that Chiba's finally getting involved a bit more in this, because, like, it feels like Chiba hasn't really been doing much for the last, like, god, like, three chapters, even though this is, like, supposed to be a chiba Naeko focus case. So do you like the cop characters? Yeah, I mean, the, the cops are interesting when when they're doing stuff. But, like, uh, I, I did like uh, uh, Akai's uh, appearance in this chapter, even though it does uh, give me more questions about the whole Akai family dynamic going on. Like, if there's, like, I know some, there's some speculation about the Akai family that there is kind of a social divide in the family that, uh, Basically, Akai and uh, Shukichi have cut themselves off from uh, their mother, Mary, because of, like, disagreements on how they should be trying to avenge their father. So, uh, that, that does make me wonder what's going on there. Like, if 
Shuki, if like Akai just trusts Shukichi more than Mary and Sarah to know that he's alive or something like that. But uh, yeah, overall though, I uh, enjoyed this uh, chapter quite a bit. And I guess uh, now we should move on to uh, our last uh, Shonen Sunday chapter for this week, Tonikaku Kawaii. So here we have uh, Tonikaku Kawaii chapter 19. Uh, so this chapter basically starts off with uh, Nasa in bed saying his wife is cute. And uh, then we see a p uh, panel of uh, him and Tsukasa lying on his uh, single person bed together. And uh, then we it kind of flashes back to uh, Nasa talking about uh, his wife's sleeping habits. And that uh, she's a bit wild in the bed. She like tosses and turns. And then sleepwalks to get like glasses of water in the middle of the night. And then uh, when, after she usually does that. She usually would steal the soup. Like the, the futon while she's asleep from NASA. But this time she actually just like nestled up against NASA. Who was already in the bed. And they were just kind of close together. And NASA's kind of like, oh, well, well, what do I do? And like he's like, can I hug her like this? What if she wakes up and just as I hug her? And he's like, wait a minute, this shouldn't be a problem. We're married and stuff. <laughs> so like he he decides to uh, get get some balls and like actually hug Sukasa. <laughs> and then the the freaking uh the text box on one of the pages is like. NASA lost his hug virginity. Hug <laughs> virginity. Yep, totally a thing. And uh, NASA's like, girls are super warm. And yeah, the text box says he discovered the truth after his first hug. And uh, after a while, uh, um, uh, Sukasa wakes up, or seems to wake up from her sleep, and then just like kisses Nasa on the lips and then goes back to sleep on like uh on like on the floor like where on her sleeping bag where she usually sleeps. Then uh the next day uh Nasa wakes up alongside Sukasa and like Sukasa's like uh did you lack sleep last night? And like Nasa's like sorta and uh seems that Sukasa doesn't remember uh what happened last night. Um, but this makes NASA think that uh, maybe uh, they should get a bigger bed so that they can sleep in the same bed. And he's like, I really want a double bed. But no, no, I'm not going to do lewd things. It's just not good to leave my wife sleeping on the floor, right? We might have some compliance problems as well, right? Besides, we plan on living together from now on. Maybe having two futons would be inefficient. And there's that and that and that. And basically, he's just trying to come up with good reasons, but at the end of the day, he also wants to do uh, do it for the lewd stuff. <laughs> and then he uh, he reaches the conclusion that they have to move because uh, his space is too cramped. And, like, uh, he said, uh, if we move, we'll be able to get a bigger bed, a bigger TV, and a bigger sofa. And then he's imagining them having, like, a bigger sofa and watching movies on it and being able to, like, Cuddle Sukasa, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah!" Getting like super like excited about it, and then he thinks like, "No, but that's not all. If we move to a bigger place, we'll have an actual bathroom." And then he's imagining a uh, Sukasa inviting him into the shower with her, <laughs> and uh, so he's like super excited about this. And he just, yeah, he just runs up to Sukasa and asks, like, if uh, they uh, want to go to a bigger place. And uh, Sukasa just, like, frankly says, uh, no, not really. There's nothing wrong with this place. And, like, Nasa makes the argument that the, that the room is, like, super cramped. But uh, Sukasa blushes and says, but if it's cramped, I can feel closer to you, Nasa. And then uh, this also makes Nasa blush. And then... He's like, well, that's a pro. <laughs> and then we just end off with uh, all is well then ends well. And that's uh, the entire chapter. Pretty simple this time. Um, what did you think of it, Allison? 
to the areas. Yeah, it was a pretty funny chapter. I, I enjoyed it a lot. The, uh, Tony Takakwai, he just does a great job of, like, uh, keeping, like, this kind of just, like, slice of life kind of, like, building up a stable relationship type thing, which is really nice. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. But, uh, yeah, there's not, not, not much else to say about it. So, uh, um, I guess we should uh, move on to uh, the Shonen Magazine side of things, where we have a brand new series to talk about. Eden Zero by Hiro Mashima. Mango, everyone, every other Mango podcast is going to talk about it. It's about a fairy tale guy. Yup. And uh, for this one, since you're the fairy tale fan among us, uh, you're going to recap this one. Hey, I have something to do again. Chapter 1 of Eden Zero starts off with a color page with the robot, the tiny boy, small robot. And they're all staring up at space, and the little boy is like, Hey, look, it's a dragon. The little robot's like, I think it's a comet. And then the big robot's like, I fooled you, Shiki. The robot's like, you won't know what it is until you see it up close. That's like, there's loads of things you'll never know if you stay here all your life. You need to go to lots of kingdoms and meet lots of people and make lots of friends. Nope. We know where this is going, I guess. <laughs> you can't have a Mashima series without friendship. And there's a whole lot of power of friendship talk, and it's making me get old feels. It's like, the robots are like, I'm mechanical. I don't have hearts, so I can't cry. And then it's like, no, that's something everyone has. Everyone has a heart. Color page with uh, Shiki, the main dude. The guy looks like Lucy a little bit. Most of the show-looking villain in the background. More robots. Clue from Ravemaster. And fairy tale. <laughs> You got some guy that kind of looks like Laxus. And then. Really, the all these characters look like someone in, from Fairy Tale or Rave Master. There's this blue cat on the right corner, and I think that's Happy. Well, we'll get into He shows up in this chapter, but yeah, his name is also literally Happy in this. Mashima doesn't change the name. The blue cat is still Happy, even though it's not the same Happy. It's not? I thought it was the same one. No, it's a different Happy. It's just called Happy still. Just like how uh, Plue is still called Plue in Fairy Tale. Oh my god. I wonder if it'll make Happy have the same voice when he gets animated. Maybe. <laughs> now there's like a fish, whale, shark looking ship. And then the cat's like, look, Rebecca, there it is. The Grand Bell Kingdom with Grand Blue. B Lord says cat's name is Happy and does not seem happy. So I I'm confused by all this now. Because this guy can talk and his name is Happy and it's not the same one. I mean, Plue wasn't the same one in Fairy Tale, but it's still, like, the character is still called Plue. So it's like, they, they just transcend dimensions, I guess, in universes. In circumstance, because Plue never really said anything. He just kind of made funny noises, whereas Happy is like an established character <laughs> in Fairy Tale that talks. True. This is gonna bug me. No lie. <laughs> and this manga now gets with the times because Rebecca the main girl is like trying to get 1 million subscribers on her YouTube channel or his own Aoneka channel I guess which is like literally like it says in the uh, in the text here that Aoneka literally just means blue cat so the blue cat channel I guess Feels like it's that universe's version of like a channel on like a YouTube or some video web hosting site. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's supposed to be the equivalent of YouTube. Okay, robot guards and the robot guard is like our first guest in 100 years. And because there's guests and all the robots are like, welcome to the Grand Buildings. And everyone's like, oh, and then. Happy says, whoa, there's bots everywhere. This is sort of like medieval robot happy time slip fill. The robot with the mustache is like, tell us, what's your dream? And she's like, I want to get a million subscribers to my channel. Oh, am I allowed to take a video? Oh, this is really up with the times. All the young people are into this YouTube, whatchamacallit these days, right, Bjorn? <laughs> yep, you, you gotta get those views, you gotta get that clickbait, all that good stuff. They're exploring this town. Look, we gotta beat up monsters and win some fabulous prizes. That would make a perfect video. 
And then they see this giant monster and it's like happy, but with like a robot dinosaur neck and little dinosaur legs. Big and scary. But Rebecca thinks, you know, it looks like a kitty and it's so cute. That smashes her and does a big mess. All of a sudden, there's this long-haired samurai dude who just showed up out of nowhere. And he's got long black hair and a scary face. It's he's... gray! <laughs> Except he's not shirtless. <laughs> Maybe. And has long hair. <laughs> That's great. Maybe it's that little boy we saw in the flashback with all the robots. Yeah, it's actually him. But he looks like gray. But let's not lie here. <laughs> Build up anticipation for the audience. <laughs> You're ruining it. <laughs> uh, anyways, this, I, I guess we're calling him Shiki now. Thanks, B-Lord. <laughs> so Shiki's all like, there aren't any other humans in this place. Just me. Angle makes it look like Shiki is steering up Rebecca's skirts and seeing her undies. And Stop staring at the jerk. And it's like, I'm glad this is weirdly like fairy tale somewhat. Not to look at Lucy's underwear that far in advance, though. It's been a while. He's like a human woman and a cat. Ooh, a cat. Can I eat it? No. Please don't eat the cat. He's all of a sudden like, will you be my friend? Scared and Shiki's like, I want to be friends. And then Rebecca's like, no way. Whoa, that guy's scary. You're pretty scary to punch a guy like him, Rebecca. <laughs> Lose no, Rebecca and Happy run away from the scene, but Shiki finds them anyways for some reason. And then they're at the robot bar, and the robot's like, Hello, Traveler, I see you failed in your quest. He's like, never mind that, I found a human boy. I thought this place was all machines. And then the robot's like, Oh, you must be Shiki. <laughs> no, we're going, hello. <laughs> like a ninja or something. Then I guess Shiki introduces all the robots. Mithra is the barmaid, John's the tailor, Andy is the cook. This is Buddy. It's the little robot from the color pages, be Lord. I'm a clop. Oh my. It's like, oh, you all know each other? And then uh, Shiki's like, they're my friends. And big celebration, lots of food. Oh my god, that meat looks delicious. Dress Rebecca in some fancy princess clothes and then they get drunk and party. There's some scary dude with a big nose staring at them outside through the window. There's some old man who is tied up to a bunch of pipes. Guessing he is the king of something. Maybe he's the king of robot random land. And then there's more prologue stuff in this forest. And then Happy is like, You're still eating? Calm down, girls can eat too, man. And then Shiki's like, that guy's been acting wonky lately, so I was trying to fix him up and go kaboom. It's like, I don't understand the kaboom part. And then Shiki's like, where did you two come from? And then Rebecca's like, Blue Garden. Now that means much to you. Oh, no. And then Shiki's like, I wish I could go to the kingdoms. Because, like, you never left this island? And then Shiki's like, well, yeah. If I leave there, I won't be anyone left to fix these guys. Is <laughs> like the robot repairman. That's fascinating. It's like, what is a lone human doing in a place like this? Is the question on your face. And then Rebecca's like, he has a mind reading sensor. Scary. And there's backstory with Shiki saying the Demon King brought this human boy here ten years ago. Got to play the Demon King. And we don't know where to find him, but the Demon King loved him like his own grandson. That's to us and we couldn't abandon him. And does repair them after all. Looking like Shiki might be the relative of some demon king thing. And Rebecca's gonna cut the hair. I cut the long hair, oh no. And then next morning, Shiki wakes up and he has floofy short hair and sparkles. And he's like, oh no, my hair's gone. And I'm like, oh no, your hair's gone. You don't look as cool anymore. Dang it. Wakes up and she is basically tied up in a weird way. Because, you know, Shonen Manga love to do this type of stuff. You gotta have that good old Mashima uh, look from look from the bottom up uh, fan service shot. Manga do this type of stuff too, so I'm not really surprised. Especially Mashima. <laughs> Lord, you hate fairy tale. I, I don't hate fairy tale. Mashima just has lots of fan service. 
the only credit I can give Fairy Tale is like they would have the girls in these weird sexual positions, but then they would have the guys being shirtless too. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I, I guess they balance it out by having gray shirtless like the entire series. Moving on. <laughs> it looks like Rebecca might be burned up by at the robot stake. I'm not quite sure where this is going. Anyways, and Shiki's like, that's my friend. She came from another dimension. She's not a bad person. And man's like, I know. We have waited 100 years for this day. For someone with a ship that goes to the outside world. My king's like, they're all gonna kill the humans to obtain the outside world. Excuse me, I'm a guest. And Robot King's like, that's my point, human. Supposed to be used by your kind. We are not inferior to you humans. No one's getting all mad. Robots are like, humans are the enemy. They look down on us. They only see us as tools. They break us without a second thought. He's like, Mithra, John, Hanny. Michael's like, I am not a tool. It's like, all the other robots suddenly, they must have gotten infected with the virus or something. Robot King Man's like, yes, this virus has allowed us to think for ourselves. And we think that we are not tools for human convenience. Snap out of it, Michael. I'm not your enemy, I'm your friend. Much intense friendship-based drama. Find some way to fix everything. King Man's like, we were merely playing the roles that were given to us. This is a world of make-believe. Waiter, trailer, knight, dancer, Castellian, demon king. They are all roles, none of them are real. A mechanic, you are not a real one. The truth is we have always been fixed by Grand Bell's castle's auto repair system. So everything's a lie, Bjorn. Oh my god. Oh my, everything we knew up to this point is a lie. All oh, 40 pages or something. Yeah, 40 pages. No, I'm gonna fix you. I'll put you all back to normal. We're friends, aren't we? Kingsman's like, you are not human. We are machines. We cannot be friends. And then Rebecca's like, a battle bot! Suddenly start thinking of that ABC robot fighting show. Anyways, uh, moving on to what's happening next. Looking, and it's like once this place had humans and machines living in harmony, this kingdom of fantasy and dreams. Upcoming, the humans abandoned us. They simply left, not even bothering to dispose of us for 100 years. And now at last, the human has arrived with a ship. The time has come for us to strike back. But I'm human, I never left you alone. And then King's like, you don't have a ship. You're the demon king's welfare to kill you. And then the robots were like, we'll get our revenge on the humans. Bots will rule the world. Humans aren't the enemy. Robot power. Robot power. Robot power. Stop, start stomping Shiki. And then Shiki's like, I thought we were friends. And then Michael's like, humans and machines are not friends. And Rebecca's like, stop it, this is too much. We were all living happy together, how can you do this? But here was his friend. You said you were his friends, how can you be so cruel? You can be friends with anyone, it doesn't matter if you're human or machine. Like, blast that sad OST with these tearful power of friendship speeches. This is a crazy punch that blasts all the robots away. And then there's like some sort of sand is maybe they'll explain it later and then We're not friends anymore and King's like friendship is not programmed into our systems Since your punches didn't hurt. I thought maybe you didn't mean it Grandpa told me if you had a friend who would shed tears for you. You better treasure that friend your whole life tears fighting time happens on the club robot and then the, all the Happy suddenly breaks free and unties Rebecca. He's like, yeah, with my powers, these ropes are nothing. Because, you know, he's... What kind of mysterious powers do you have, Happy? What powers have inter-universe inter travel given you? It's a mystery. Plot twist, Happy is actually the most powerful series in the... Mo uh, most po powerful character in the Mashima universe. Can believe that can happen. Oh, Shiki's like standing on a wall, but Rebecca's like, that power Shiki is using. <laughs> and then Happy's like, this is Ether Gear. What is Ether Gear? 
here that works on the body's ether flow, reconfiguring it to give him powers and power from the dark ages. Yes, but what's ether flow? You're not explaining this at all, Happy. Happy, you and your weird explanations that don't give us context in layman terms. I can believe it. It's shonen. In realism, you're in the wrong place, my friend. Robot fights, uh, Shuki's blasting through some robot-based fireballs. It's like, I can't believe there's someone out here who can use either gear. And Shuki does this crazy stomping move on Robot King called Gravity Fist. Looks like the Robot King man is officially got punched to the ground. And then Rebecca's falling, but then Shuki saves her. Everyone's floating in the air. And then Abby's like, Ether gear. And then Shuki's like, this is the power I inherited from my grandpa. His grandpa must have been really OP to be able to control literal gravity. <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> I know, this is, this is some wild stuff. The robots are still, like, infected by this virus, and they're like, kill all the humans, kill all the humans. It's like, which way to your ship? It's that way. Any north by northwest. Wait, what's happening? <laughs> and then they all start flying really fast. It's like they're falling sideways or something. Start chasing them. <laughs> like... Wait, what are you gonna do? And then Cheeky's like, I'm gonna go fight all these robots. He's like, no, you're coming with me because we're friends, aren't we? And then on the ship, and then Cheeky's like, wait, this wasn't a ship? And then Rebecca's like, oh, this is a ship. It's enough. So Rebecca's like, you said you wanted to go to the outside world, didn't you? And then Cheeky's like, yeah, I did say that. Do it. And then Cheeky's like, we're going to other kingdoms? Oh, they're not exactly kingdoms. Look outside. You're in, they're in space. Dun dun dun! Cosmos, and we're in a spaceship. Lord, I didn't expect this to happen, to be honest. To be honest, I, I did simply because, uh. I, when I first, like, read the chapter, I literally skimmed to the end to see how it ends. <laughs> what? Lord, why would you spoil yourself like that? I, I don't know. I was just like, huh. I wonder how long this chapter is. And then I accidentally skipped, like, page 70, and it was like, oh, it's in space. Okay. Uh, that, that's cool, I guess. This is similar to that time where you watched Megalo Box episode 12 after not seeing everything else. It was episode 13, but yes. Okay. But I, I will say this panel does look very pretty. The ship and then it's like a, some sort of bubble planet with a big tree on a rock. Sort of like the Kisnik yeah. Thor moon base. Yeah, I guess like the bubble's supposed to be the atmosphere or something. Probably. Maybe. That's what I'm thinking. So Shiki's making some hilarious face while he's staring out the window. He's like, so the kingdom you guys came from, the planet Blue Garden? And Becca's like, yep, the planet Blue Garden. And Shiki's like, what's going on? We're in space? Do you not understand the concept of space? And Shiggy's like, sure, I know about space. It's, you know, that place where all the stars floating all around. Wrong. Some pretty light that flashes by. And Becca's like, I'll go get up close. Holy crap, Bjorn, it's a dragon. Or a giant metal yeah. dragon. Yeah, it looks like a mechanical dragon. So I'm not sure if it's like it's supposed to be like a ship, too. Like, and it's just called a dragon because it looks like a dragon. Or, like, it's a living, like, biomechanical creature like those, uh, Robots we saw on the planet. Either way, it looks cool. Yeah, holy god. Space dragon. Space mecha dragons. Space mecha dragons. This is awesome. This is awesome. Look at that smile. Smile, it's a precious smile. And now we go back to Brand Bell Planet, King's Bed. And there's other robots that are like, my lord, Castellan. Yes, I know, she's a human from another planet. Amends, we must send Shiki to the skies. I'm glad it worked. Humans must not stay on this planet. Robots were like, because once we stop moving, they will be all alone. If we hadn't, he'd stay here forever. Tell you. And you all performed your parts well. Like, all these fields, because the robots are going to stop moving. Like, great demon king, we kept our promise. It's something everyone has. Everyone has a heart. I knew it was going to make me so sad. If I knew it was gonna feel so lonely, I never would have wanted to have art. And it was sad. 
That's just not moving. All the robots are dead. Oh my god. Yep. Rebecca is explaining the cosmoses in space. The soccer cosmos. And she said the planet Granblail is a theme park. He's crying. And he's like, they all went weird at the end, but they were all my friends. He's like, thanks, guys. I'm, thanks for being for me. I was never alone. Hey, Lauren. So much feels. All the feels. He breaks up the feels with some comedy by saying, I guess they can't hear me. Can I break the window? Rebecca's like, no. And her eyeballs pop out of her head. <laughs> like, I made up my mind. We're friends in space. And meanwhile, this... The narration bubbles say, "Making this day started the journey of Shaky Granville. We remembered throughout the universe, and that was Chapter One of Eden Zero. View Lord, I am happy that this manga exists. Yeah, it, it was better than I expected. I, I do have a few problems with it. I mean, I kind of feel like I don't know. I kind of feel mixed with like the fact that the robots straight up just like made." Shiki think that his entire life was a lie rather than, I don't know, just straight up telling him to leave. <laughs> but like, otherwise it was a pretty decent first chapter. I'm interested in reading more. Um, seems like it'd be okay. I do feel that like this first chapter probably isn't going to be representative of what the series becomes. Because it definitely seems like based on Shiki's powers, like it definitely seems that this is going to become more of a straight up battle showed and as it goes on but overall i'm i'm intrigued on where, what could happen me too i'm just happy because i well Velor doesn't like fairy tale and so do a lot of people in the manga community <laughs> i seem to hate fairy tale so much but anyways this kind of feels like it's the same type of type story with not a lot of dragging like fairy tale so i am happy that I get to see something like this again in my lifetime. I don't have to deal with porn ads. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a decent read. Um, in any case, we shall move on to our next series um, in our recap, which is Hitman. So here we have a uh, Hitman Chapter 2. So this chapter starts off with uh, Kenzaki and uh, Takanashi having their next editorial meeting. And Kenzaki and uh, Takanashi get into an argument over uh, Takanashi's uh, new draft of her manga. And uh, as they're arguing, they get the attention of one of the other editors who's in the discussion room with them. And like he's being like, hey, you guys are being way too loud over there. And Kenzaki takes the opportunity to go up to the editor and starts complaining about how Takanashi's being uh, so weird and stubborn about uh, listening to his ideas. And Kenzaki's like, the protagonist has to be dumb, cheerful, hot-headed guy, right? And the heroine should be demure and beautiful. But Takanashi's like, it's a romantic comedy, you know. It's better if he's shy. And the heroine should be a cheerful, the kind who would draw in the protagonist. So they're kind of just arguing about this back and forth. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> just kind of dumbfounded about it. And he's like, shouldn't you guys focus on, uh, uh, rewriting the narrative so that it eliminates a lot of the lazy writing that the, the uh, that the vice editor had been complaining about? And Kazaki's like, well, of course we're going to fix that. But first we have to fix the personalities of protagonist and heroine. And, uh, Takanashi's trying to argue that, uh, shy characters can be also passionate and, uh, she compares it, she compares her main character to Michael from the Dr. Blood series. And Kenzaki's like, I, I told you I don't watch foreign dramas. I'm too busy to watch that. And, like, Takanashi's like, you have to make time for this. Um, so basically the argument just, like, escalates, and then, uh, Takanashi just kind of leaves and says that she doesn't have the slightest intention changing the personalities of her uh, heroine or protagonist and that uh, she'll see him at the next meeting in three days um, and yeah and then after that argument uh, the editor-in-chief comes up to Kenzaki and invites him to a bar so at the bar they're kind of just like having some drinks and uh, 
Apparently, Kenzaki's never drunk drinking before. So he has, like, his first drink at the bar. And he's like, this may be my first time drinking, but I can at least tell that it's really good booze. And the editor-in-chief is like, I see, I see. You understand this, even though you don't understand an author's feelings, eh? And basically, uh, he mentions how uh, the other editor, Nakata, had told him that uh, he had a fight with Takanashi over uh, her drafts. And uh, Kenzaki says, that, that, that's because uh, she wasn't trying to listen to me. And uh, um, and uh, he, he said that uh, uh, his argument that he had with uh, Yagami over uh, duds and uh, respecting authors of uh, dud works. And... Uh, and uh, the inner chief kind of drives home the point that uh, um, authors are putting their lives on the stake when they uh, compete in the manga industry. And that uh, she's on a totally different footing from uh, Kenzaki, who has a stable salary in life, regardless of what happens to her manga. And uh, basically, from, from that perspective, it's not so simple that uh, he can simply say whatever he likes to her. And uh, you can't force your tastes and preferences down uh, a mangaka's throat. Basically, you have to uh, you have to guide the mangaka rather than um, be in control. An analogy is like the author is a ship and the editor is a lighthouse. So the editor has to delicately steer the ship of the author. Um, so that they don't go in the wrong direction. A manly metaphor. <laughs> yep. And as such, uh, Kenzaki needs to understand how Takanashi thinks as an author, and what their what her preferences, goals, and are, and what uh, she's capable of. And uh, basically, uh, Kenzaki after they leave the bar, Kenzaki starts thinking about all this, and uh, we then pan over to Takanashi who uh, sees uh. Kenzaki going into a video store and buying all of Dr. Blood, the series that uh, she had mentioned to him that her character has a similar personality to. And like the clerk is like, um, how about you start from season one? And Kenzaki's like, don't be stingy. I bought all six seasons here, didn't I? I just let me rent them, damn it. I gotta finish th watching this in three days. So it then skips to like three days later. Where we just see Kenzaki's eyes just completely, like, completely, just, like, completely exhausted as he's watching these episodes of Dr. Blood. And he's got, like, super invested into it. And, like, uh, his other fellow editors are like, dude, are you okay? You don't look so good. Get some sleep. And Kenzaki's just like, have you heard of this series called Dr. Blood? It's so interesting. Oh my god, this guy's so cool. Michael is so awesome. And, yeah, the, the other editor, Nakata's like, is that meeting with the author going okay? When is it anyways? And uh, Kenzaki's like, it was supposed to be yesterday, but for some reason she asked for an extra day. And that they were supposed to be at 2 p.m. But she hasn't read any of like his line messages. And then one of the other editors makes a joke that uh, he's speaking too casually to her and that, uh, uh, that <laughs> he thinks that, he, he jokes that, uh, he saw her go going and walking into a Shugaku Khan office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, so suddenly, uh, Takanashi does show up, and she apologizes for being late, and that, uh, <laughs> she also brings up, yeah, you're speaking too casually to me, Kenzaki. Stop, stop doing the casual names. Call, call me, uh, Miss Takanashi. And then, uh, Kenzaki was just a crazy expression. like, uh, I've, I've been watching all of Dr. Blood this whole time. It's seriously interesting. And then he's like, I, I'd have no right to talk if I didn't watch it all. And then Ta Takanashi's like, well, in that case, please, re please read all these, uh, name drafts. Th this work, and then she takes out one of them and it's like, this one has the protagonist as shy and the heroine as cheerful. And then she takes out another one that has the protagonist dumb and cheerful and hot-headed while the heroine's demure and beautiful. But then she also takes out two more on top of that that have the protagonist as timid and the heroine is demure and beautiful. And then finally, the protagonist is dumb and cheerful and hot-headed and the heroine as a cheerful girl. And uh, she tells him to read all four. 
And then Kenzaki's super surprised about this because she basically wrote all four combinations within four days. And Takanashi's like, if I didn't go this far, a newbie like you wouldn't understand what's good or bad, right? And then we uh, see that on her uh, skill, they have a little skills chart on, in these chapters. And note, it shows that uh, her output capacity meter had increased and leveled up to like level 8. <laughs> so uh, she's, she's proving more of her skills as a mangaka, which is cool. But uh, all the other editors are also freaked out about how, her, how efficient she is. And uh, Yagami is just like, what a pointless thing to do. What's the purpose of your meeting? And uh, Takanashi elaborates that she didn't cut corners and every single one of, of those uh, drafts is uh, properly made. And then uh, Kenzaki's like, oh, well, then we have to read them, don't we? Let's go to, let's go, uh, to the room number three and read them all. And then uh, Takanashi again yells at him, don't use my full name. And then uh, we see the editor-in-chief in the background who's like, Tsubasa. For Ryonosuke, huh? Like a dragon acquiring a set of wings. Uh, since uh, Tsubasa means wings and Ryu means dragon. But uh, yeah, that's the end of the chapter. Um, I, I enjoy this chapter quite a bit. Uh, it, it was uh, interesting. So like, uh, it's good. It's good to see that uh, the series is focusing kind of the editor mangaka relationship, which we generally don't really see a lot of. Like even like we saw in Bakuman, of course. But like, I, I do like that they're showing more of an editor perspective here. And uh, what is like being a kind of editor in these types of situations where you do have, you have to like respect the ideas of the mangaka, but you also have to push them in the right direction so that they'll reach the audience properly. So yeah, I, I like this chapter a lot. I'm more invested in this plot now, so I will try to continue reading this. Yeah, it, it seems like it's gonna be an interesting series. Uh, Seo Koji has a bit of a inconsistent track record, but... For the for the for the most part, uh, this time around, he seems to be on the right direction, which is good. When is Ippo coming back? Ippo should be back next week. Uh, we forgot to mention this. Uh, uh, we aren't talking about Ippo this week because Ippo's on break. Uh, it should be back next week with another chapter. But uh, we should now move on to our last uh, Shonen magazine title for this week, Orient. So we have Orient Chapter Five here. So this chapter basically continues off of where the last one finished, where uh, uh, Takeda finished off the Kishin, and like he's just in front of uh, Musa, he's in front of Musashi, and he's like, the Kishin Engo Kutengu was defeated by me, and uh, Musashi is super mad about this, and like uh, he he's sad that uh, he and Kojiro didn't uh, get their first kill and stuff. And, uh, basically Takeda's like, sorry, but for us, the, there's some things we can't hand over. And then, uh, Takeda and the rest of his squad start, uh, absorbing the energy from the Kishin, it seems, into, like, their blades. Which I think, uh, which apparently, like, uh, gives them more power, or at least, uh, strengthens, I think, their... Some, it seems to be strengthening something. And, uh, basically all the servants of the Kishin are kind of freaking out. They're like, oh, no... Our Lord Kishin is dead. It's all over. All that. And all Takeda's squad's kind of getting, uh, getting excited. And they're like, um, this or like, uh, they've taken back, uh, taken back the village. And as they're all excited, we still see, uh, Musashi in the background kind of just frustrated over this. And he's like, he can't accept that Takeda took his kill. Then Musashi shows up behind him and he's like, these remind me just like uh, the Bushi from uh, my father's stories. And it shows that like my father's stories were right all along. That the Bushi uh, are still continuing to fight the Oni to restore freedom to Hinomoto. And that the, Fushi, the Bushi fight by, their, by the side of their comrades. And uh, basically uh, the, uh, the Takeda Bushi squad continues to cheer... And the villagers are, like, thanking him for, like, saving their lives. But Musashi is still frustrated. Like, this guy, like, he's saying all the right things. But at the same time, it feels like he's making me submit uh, to his ideas. And at the same time, it feels like um, he's taking away my right to do things and stuff. 
Then uh, Takeda goes up to the uh, to uh, the servants of the of the oni in the in the kitchen, and he's like, uh, he's like, we will defeat the will defeat the kitchen. If you want to help us, you can join us. And the kitchen are just like, are uh, the kitchen numbers have flourished in these years. Oh, over the 150 years. Well, you Bushi's numbers have only declined. How do you expect to stand up to the Kishin in your numbers? And it's all your fault, Takeda. You're, you're leading these people with an impossible dream. You're, you're only going to lead to their extinction. And uh, Takeda's like, the human world is an impossible dream. You see, I was told that all the time while growing up. There are a lot of different people within the Bushi who wish for stability of the current situation rather than to defeat the Oni. Those who wish for a future without Oni. What they have in common with you is that their dreams and their way of life were bounded by the Oni. We can't completely give up. We can't give up our dream by trusting our wish, by being committed to it, naming successor and inheriting the techniques. It's why all these things that we have come this far. The power of our fallen comrades have been handed out down from sword to sword, and now an unprecedented great power lies within our hands. We want to be able to look up at the blue sky with nothing to fear. And then he's like, don't, don't you want to show that same thing to your children? Our generation will achieve it. And uh, basically, uh, he, he just like completely riles up all his comrades and everything. And including, including Kojiro too. And Kojiro's like, those people are awesome, right Musashi? And Musashi's just kind of silent. He's thinking to himself, awesome people? I, I can't agree with that. That guy, he, I get that he's saying the right thing as Bushi, but there's something. He makes me feel like I was forced to surrender myself. And above all, I decided that I won't fake what I really think anymore. I'm going to tell my complaints directly, even if that spoils the mood that praises this hero. And the chapter basically ends with Musashi about to walk up to Takeda to speak his mind. So yeah, that, that's basically the entire chapter. What did you think of it, Allison? It was good. I forgot most of what happened, but it helped me remember stuff. Yeah, um, I, I really like this chapter mainly because it kind of, uh, it kind of reminds me of like the Aladdin-Sinbad relationship for Magi in a way. Except Musashi is far more open about being wary of Takeda than Aladdin was of uh, Sinbad early on. Like, it definitely seems like... It definitely seems like... Takeda's kind of the Sinbad of this series. Where he's technically on the side of good, but he's not... Uh, the way the means of his methods aren't particularly grounded in a... Grounded in a moral way. So I think uh, he and Musashi are definitely going to have some conflict between them. And it'll be interesting to see how that pans out in the future chapters. But uh, so far, I'm continuing to be interested in this. Uh, Otaka continues to uh, continues to be fantastic with her art and her storytelling here, and it really feels like uh, I, I'm just like really excited to see what's going to happen next. So yeah, another great chapter of Orient. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that basically wraps up our recap for this week. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I guess we should uh, plug ourselves and get out of here. Allison, where can the good people find you? People can find me on Twitter at VLORDGTZ, that is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, I usually talk about whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm up to, and all that stuff on there, so... Follow me on there if you want to see all that stuff. And then you can follow the podcast at Drowning in Manga, just as how the podcast is spelled on Twitter. And there we update with uh, when the episodes are coming out, post them when they're out and all that stuff. Um, if you want the best way to keep up to date with us, that would be the method, following us on Twitter at that, at that uh, account. And yeah... That's about it. Um, later.